I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm KSL's Debbie Worthen. Four years ago, my son Asher was diagnosed with autism. After getting our footing, we decided it was time to celebrate the news with all of you. And that's how Celebrating the Spectrum was born. Each week, we consult with the experts and others who are learning to navigate life with a loved one who has special needs. This is a place where we find hope, look for solutions, and connect with those working to create a better world of inclusion. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Celebrating the Spectrum. It is a snowy day here in Salt Lake City, and we are very happy to have our guests here today. We have Lacey Anderson. Her husband, David, is also here just for moral support, which I love. (laughs) Husbands are the best that way. Lacey and her husband own Autism Solutions, and they founded Autism Solutions Academy. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Lacey, and then we're really going to dig in and talk to her. So Lacey has been working with individuals on the spectrum for 15 years. She started working as an in-home ABA therapist while attending college. She fell in love with the job and began working with other kids. Once she obtained her bachelor's in psychology, she was accepted to a teaching fellows program in New York City. While working on her master's degree in special education, Lacey taught in an autism unit in the Bronx. Lacey loved her job and continue to learn how to best work with individuals with special needs. So then she married David and the story goes from there, which that's kind of where we're going to pick up. So Lacey, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So we have a mutual friend who we both absolutely adore and she's like, Debbie, you have to talk to Lacey. She started this school, she started this program, and I always just assume that when people have started this, it's because their child has autism. But that is not the case for you. So kind of tell me about that path when you, you were in special ed. Were you just drawn to those autistic kids or what kind of made you want to go that route? Yeah, so um, it started in college. I was a psychology major, but I did not know what I was going to do with it. Um, well, it's probably pretty common. Yes. Right? Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's a good degree to pick, I think, if yeah. you're interested in humans but don't know which direction you're going. Um, and so I was sitting in one of my classes one day and my TA got up and he announced that there was a position open. Mm-hmm with a family that he worked with. And I just knew there was something that told me this is the job you have to take. I wasn't looking for a job, and um, that definitely was not on my radar. Yeah. Um, Oh, I love moments like that, because you just know that was like the beginning of the path. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so I reached out to the mom and interviewed, and I got the position. And what what would you be doing? Um, So he described it as you will basically be working with a kid, but you have to be really fun and energetic. And uh, and that's something that I am good at. I enjoy working with kids, and I have a lot of energy. So um, I went for it, and 
I discovered pretty quickly that I was able to connect with her. Mm. And I loved it. And how old was she? Oh, goodness. She was probably eight or nine at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And how many years ago was that? Well, I was 22, so <laughs> see, I think it's about 15 years. 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so at that point, what did you start doing to look into that field? Well, so I, um, a couple different things. So I started going to school with her a little bit um, and trying to help out in the classroom. I also started working with other kids um, in the area. And so um, that's kind of what got me interested in special education. Um, once again, I don't know that I had a clear focus on mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with it, but um, I was accepted into the fellowship program in New York City, and I got a position in um, an autism classroom as middle schoolers. Wow. And um, Middle school in general. It's rough, yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved uh, kind of just figuring out what made them tick, and also the, the kids that I worked with, they were all nonverbal. And, um, and I just, I wanted to figure out how to help them learn more than just let's hang out and have a good time. I Mm -hmm. was really focused on how do I get us into a position where, um, we're organized. I had no idea what I was doing. No, I was just starting. (laughs) But you were trying to understand how they were thinking, like what's going on in that brain. Mm -hmm. You know, how are they, how are they looking at the world? Mm -hmm. So when you were in the classroom with that eight year old. What were some of the things that you were noticing that were happening? Um, I just, I think the teacher just felt overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have a lot of support, so I remember that. Um, but then she was also very um, offended that I was in there almost. Okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't thrilled about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so I also wanted to, I wanted to be different. Like I wanted to make sure that when I was teaching, I was making a difference. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. That's great. All right. And so then you ultimately ended up starting starting this, this school and this behavioral mm-hmm. center. So tell me about those. Yeah. So um, the the therapy center came first. So we started with in-home ABA therapy. Um, and I just felt that we needed a more central location so that we could um, help train and oversee the therapist and what was happening mm-hmm. and also offer support. So at first you were just going into homes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which also super critical. I love that. Oh, too. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's incredible to have that home piece, but it's also very challenging when there's almost this disconnect because you have your supervisor who has all this training and experience and background. And so if a kid is having a rough day or there's questions about programming, they don't have the same support. Whereas mm-hmm. at the center, the, you know, the BCBAs are always there. So tell, tell me how it works at a center as far mm-hmm. as the staff. And I have to tell you a funny story because my son goes to one of these centers too after school. He's six. Mm-hmm. And he had this laminated SpongeBob that he came home with one day. It was drawn. I'm like, oh, Asher, I love that. Did you make that today? It's like, no, my staff did. It's like, oh, it's good to be Asher. Yes. I just got the biggest kick out of it. But but tell me kind of the hierarchy of the therapists. Yeah. So um, we have clinical directors over each center and they have been BCBAs who have either been with us for a long period of time or they have a lot of experience in the field. And what does BCBA stand for? A board Certified Behavior Analyst. And and what kind of background do those people have? Um, so typically a special education background. Like a, like a bachelor's degree? Um, no. So for me, it was a postgraduate degree. So okay. I had received my master's degree and then I went back to school for 18 months and then set for my board exam. So okay. you um, have 
supervision hours that you need to get in under another BCBA, and you also have to pass the board exam. Okay. And so that that's generally the person who oversees kind of the program at a center. Is that right? Yeah. So okay. they'll do the initial assessment with the child. They'll do ongoing assessments with the child to see if there's been progress. They're writing behavior plans, and they're the ones that are kind of really doing a lot of the problem solving. Right. Okay. And then who's under them? So those are the RBTs, um, which are registered behavior technicians. And so they um, have received training. So like a 40-hour training is what's mm-hmm. required, but there's also a lot of hands-on training. Right. And they are overseen by the BCBA, and the BCBA is meeting with them regularly to kind of help carry out the plan. In your opinion, when someone is looking for one of these centers for their autistic child, what are the things they should be looking at as far as that structure goes? Because I think a lot of, a lot of us, we get that diagnosis and then we're just like flooded with information. And it's one of those, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know the questions to ask. Yep. So in your opinion, what should parents be looking for in those places? Um, first, they should be looking for what is the parent relationship with the BCBA and with the center. So we have an open door policy that was very important to me with the school and with the therapy center. Parents are allowed to stop by at any time and see what's happening. Now, are there any issues on that with HIPAA or no? Um, no, because they sign an okay. agreement that they know parents are walking, coming through. Um, I just felt like, you know, if I had a child... Well, that, it feels transparent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if I had a child that couldn't speak, I'd want to be able to pop in and see, you know, how are things really going? Yes. I love that. Okay. Yes. So the open door policy. Yes. Um, and also, um, I think it's the approach. So there's two different approaches to ABA that I feel like, and I always felt mm-hmm. this even before more research has come out, and mm-hmm. um, there's a fear-based approach where you don't necessarily know how to engage the child in a meaningful way, and so it's very rigid, and you follow a script, and mm-hmm. if they don't follow the script, then you get behaviors, and there's a lot of fear. Um, I guess there's, I've seen where teachers have instilled fear in the kids so that they listen, and mm-hmm. not just at ABA, even in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But then there's the approach where it's out of love and you really are connecting with that kid Mm -hmm. and you meet them where they're at and you engage them in ways that are meaningful to them. Is there a place for both or do you think the fear fear based is not the way to go? It's not the way to go because even with love, you can provide structure Yeah, and you can get them there, but you start out with where they're at. Right. No, I mean, I obviously love this because Mm -hmm. the thing that's always so critical to me is how well... How is he feeling when he comes home every day? You know, I feel like mm-hmm. I can get a good gauge that way. Yeah. But not always, because he's so yeah. forgiving. He'll forgive anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do I feel like they love him? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is always a parent's thing, right? Even when you're hiring a nanny. It's, it's like, I want to pay you $15 an hour, and I want you to love this kid like he's your own child, yes. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, because it, but it drives their decision making. It does. Right? If yeah. they love your kid, they're going to make decisions that are best for your child. And kids clue into that, too. Oh, 100%. Right, right. Yep. Okay, so so those two. Now, in the autism community, as far as therapy, mm-hmm. are there centers that believe in that fear-based approach? Um, I've heard of some. Mm-hmm. I I try to keep to, my, <laughs> right. <laughs> to myself right. and my but, perspective. But those are but out there. They are out there, Okay, yes. okay. And so how would a parent know kind of which approach is being taken at a center? Um. I think if you, I think you should tour the centers mm-hmm. because I think there's definitely. I've had people come in and they're like, when I walk in, I just feel joy. Yeah, our pediatrician talks about that. He's like, when you go look at the school, trust your gut. Mm-hmm. If you're like, oh, this doesn't feel good, then it's not good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you should feel good about what's happening with your kid. Right. Um, 
And that's how I want all of the, you know, like if parents walk in, regardless if they're seeing their kid or another kid, um, with what's happening, it does, it feels good. It feels right. like we have the kids' best interests. There's um, love behind everything that we do. One thing I always loved about Pingree is I would I would stop in at times, and there was <laughs> always some child having a meltdown in the hall. You know, I remember one, it was Halloween, and there was a kid. What's the yellow? Is it Pokemon? Is he yellow? Yeah. Uh-huh. This kid's like wearing this yellow Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon outfit in the middle of full fledged tantrum in the hall. And but no one was freaking out. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, you need people that aren't like, ah, oh, this is stressing me out. They just understand, like, we're gonna ride this out and then, you know, mm-hmm. see how it goes. All right. So talk a little bit about ABA. So applied behavioral analysis. Uh-huh. And ABA is somewhat controversial. Has that mm-hmm. always been the case? Or is that new? There's just everything controversial now in the world. Um, I mean, I think it's controversial because of some of the practices that used to happen. I mean, do those still, and, and talk about what those were and do those still happen? They do. Um, I think that some people, like I said, out of fear, they use punishment based practices where. Um, yeah, what were the practices initially? Um, so there's. Uh, positive practice or if they don't do something right they just make them do mm-hmm. it over and over again um or they have them do a, an action over and over again um there's people who overuse restraints there's mm-hmm. people who overuse um there's you know clinics that it's very controversial they use shock therapy which is oh disgusting. my goodness i yeah. yeah yeah and to me yeah. that just seems like as a society, haven't we learned exactly. better so, than that? It just feels yes. like we have. So I can see where the controversy yeah. comes okay. from. Right. Right. And and so, you know, what I say is I'd love for those people to come to our center for and sure. see how we honor and celebrate the kids. Right. Um, you know, if they want to act out a movie scene, we act out the movie scene with them. If they want to learn out in the sandbox, we go out to the sandbox with them. Yeah. And, um, that, and that's about meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, and finding their joy and kind of going from there. Yes, and also challenging them, expecting that they can learn, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of traditional special ed settings are not very academically rigorous mm-hmm. because you have so many different levels. It's very challenging. Um, but we have it set up to where they're moving for math and reading specifically. Mm-hmm. We do direct instruction, which has a lot of science behind it. And oh, what does that mean, direct um, instruction? So it's a, actually a scripted program um, and it's very visual. And so they're following along at their pace. Okay. So it's reading and math that we do with direct instruction, um, but they also require response back. So you're, it's called choral responding. Mm-hmm. So you're checking in with the student all along the way. Are they understanding the concepts? Mm-hmm. And how do you gauge that, like with the nonverbal kids? So we actually have a different curriculum for the nonverbal kids. Okay, okay. So that's different. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. good to know. Okay, so under the umbrella of ABA, Mm -hmm. are there other parts that are kind of like, oh, yeah, that's part of ABA? For example, you know, I've heard of play therapy. I don't Mm -hmm. know that much about it. I've heard of floor therapy. Is that the Mm -hmm. same as play therapy? Yeah, floor time. Okay, okay. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. just called floor time. Um, and And then I've heard of play therapy for trauma. Is that the same as play therapy for autism? Um, I'm not super familiar okay, yeah. with it, but... Yeah, okay. All right. And then like occupational therapy and all of that stuff. Do all of those kind of fall under the umbrella of ABA or is that something that doesn't, but you can find it with the right place? Well, so the thing with ABA is there's a lot of science behind it mm-hmm. um, and they continue to do research, um, but it's definitely based on the principles of reinforcement and um, there's a lot of... 
uh, different concepts within that that help us understand the functions of behavior and shape our programming based on actual behavioral principles, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I would say. Um, The other therapies may be great. They don't have scientific backing, and I don't know now, okay, a lot gotcha. About okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's good to know. So, and I'm sure you've heard some autistic adults saying how they hate ABA, it ruined their life or whatever. What how do you feel about that when you hear that? Um, like I said, they probably had a very different experience and that makes me, you know, sad. Yeah. Um, when I first started the first family that I worked with, it was very rigid. She spent 40 hours a week up in the playroom away oh. from her family. Whoa. And part, the program did not uh, aim to include her to be with her family. And so the mom would ask, well, I really want her to be able to ride her bike with the family. I want her to be able to learn how to swim because that's what we do. We're a very active family. And mm-hmm. he said, no, nope, sorry, that's not part of my program. And so, <laughs> yeah. And now, okay, so that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So how has, how has ABA evolved? Because it, it feels to me, you know, because our experience with ABA has been so incredible. Mm-hmm. I have felt like the... The RBTs and the BCBAs that we have worked with, like, love Asher so much. And I can tell when he sees them, we'll pull up and he runs out and can't wait to be there. But so how has that philosophy evolved with that science that still backs it? Yeah. So I feel like back then you had to come up with all kinds of arbitrary reinforcers, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're stuck up in a room. The, the environment itself is not reinforcing. Right. Um, now it's what's meaningful to that kid. Um, and so... By doing it in an environment and with um, reinforcement that's actually meaningful to the child, you don't necessarily have to come up with, like, when he described the job in my class, he said, mm-hmm. you're basically going to act like a clown, you know, because it's true. You had to, like, put stuff on your head and make a block fall and do all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, when, if you find something that's meaningful to the kid, you actually don't have to mm-hmm. try that hard, right? Like, working out in the sandbox mm-hmm. or acting out a movie because, like, that's what... It's fun to them and exciting for them. You know, you right. that connection with them. And and so I do think it's evolved in the sense that it's not seen as having to be so rigid. Right. Right. OK. OK. And because I yeah, and I guess it all comes down to that love factor, because I know it's become a huge, you know, business mm-hmm. in and of itself, which, you know, some of the autistic adults we've talked about that scares mm-hmm. them, yep. you know, because it's become such a big moneymaker. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it was several years ago that insurance started paying for this mm-hmm. stuff, which I mean is incredible because I can't imagine. I did a story years ago in this affluent family on the east side. They had two autistic sons and they were literally going bankrupt yep. because insurance covered nothing. Yeah. And can you imagine? No. And you would do it. You would okay. come up with a way That's to pay for it. Kidneys. Yeah, because it just like you have to have it. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, how, when you are, when families are sending their kid to a center or a school, mm-hmm. And there's a, a specific focus of therapy. So in your case, ABA therapy. How can parents gauge success? How can they see like, oh, this is working? Yeah. And I, it's honestly different for every kid. Mm-hmm. We have um, some kids come to us that are seven or eight. They don't know their letters and they're reading. Um, whereas other kids, they may not academically make all of that progress, but they're able to finally be in a group setting right? and okay. they're able to participate in song time and they're able to, um, because they feel safe. Yeah. And so I think success looks different for every kid, but, um, and that's why I always told parents, I'd, you know, I'd, 
I used to fill all the intake phone calls, you know, and they'd say, will my kid talk if they come to your program? And I was like, I can't promise anything to you. Yeah. I said, but you know what <laughs> no I can pressure. tell you? Yeah. Yeah. You'll see miracles mm-hmm. because if you do something out of love, you're going to tap into different things that that kid needs and you're going to figure out how to help them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, from our experience, they would say, okay, what are your goals for Asher? Like, I don't know. Can you give me some ideas? Because sometimes as the parent, I don't know. What yeah. should I be saying yeah, right here? You know, expect, yeah. what should my goals be? Uh, that he's happy and healthy and mm-hmm. has friends. I don't, can read. I don't know the yeah. goals, you know. But when you're working with parents, what are realistic goals? I mean, you know, for a parent to say, will, will my child talk if they come here? I mean, that... To me, that just shows a clear misunderstanding of the diagnosis. You know, I mean, you can, it's, I used to do the weather and one thing in my meteorology classes, they said is there aren't always a nevers in weather, you know, and I feel like that's kind of the case with, with autism as well. Well, what I would say is, you know, if your goal is that they'll talk, well, it might not be in the form that you're thinking of, right? They will communicate. Yeah. We'll find a way for them to communicate Mm -hmm. and we will work on it. We'll find a way for them to express themselves, um, in different formats. Right. Some kids, it's in drawing. Some kids, it's in a language board. Some kids, it's, you know, but we'll honor their style of communication and we'll work with them with where they're at. And so your school is kindergarten through high 18, school. through mm-hmm. high school. Okay. And do you have one school or more than that? We have three. Three schools across the Salt Lake Valley? Yes. So is that Dra- right? Draper, West Jordan, and Sunset, Utah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Okay. And how many students do you have? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, about 120. Total? Yes. Okay. So they're just small schools. Yes. And small classrooms. Oh, which I'm sure the families love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break. So Lacey has some videos that, that she just had produced to feature some of the kids in the programs. And we're going to talk about that and how this project kind of evolved from talking about the kids to celebrating them, which, you know, we love because we're celebrating the spectrum here. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, the search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. here with Lacey Anderson and we are talking about some videos that you had produced recently and you have a gala coming up is that correct yes gala gala what do you call it gala but I don't know I don't know either (laughs) I think it's okay and what is the gala all about so it's called the inclusion matters fundraising gala and the whole idea is to celebrate our kids and to bring awareness to inclusion where does the money go and the money will go to uh, two different things. So the people who sponsor tables, they'll be also sponsoring videos to tell stories of either our kids or kids that they have specifically in mind. And then um, also money raised at the event from the silent auction um, will go to the Autism Solutions Academy Scholarship Fund um, because the tuition at our school is actually uh, we don't charge the family's tuition. And mm-hmm. so there's a couple of different scholarships coming into play that help. Tell me about the videos and how the project came about and then how it started to evolve. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I was at um, the CASP conference, which is a 
Autism Provider Conference, and we had the opportunity to watch a documentary on the first individual diagnosed with autism. And it was an incredible documentary. And it kind of showed how the community came together to make it possible for um, this individual to exist in his community but in a meaningful way like they made space for him and he had friends and and the crazy thing this was i i believe in like the 20s like the late 20s when he yes. was born i mean can you imagine because it was such a different world yes they yeah. used to institutionalize kids yeah and refrigerator moms and all that stuff and it's just like ah uh. yes and so he was um it was a great example of what happens when a community comes together to make space and include um these individuals and how beautiful it is. Yeah. And it's more than just the video of the kid making the, the basketball shot at the end of the game. Yes. Yes. And it, and it also ventured into different communities and different individuals with autism that um, had different experiences in the community. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. And so, and I'm sure you think about inclusion all the time with stuff mm -hmm. like this. So when you saw that, were you thinking we should do this with some of our kids? How do we do that? Yeah, how it evolved is um, it did have a segment on individuals that were nonverbal and had behaviors, and um, it mostly to me felt like it was focusing on how challenging it was to mm -hmm. raise those kids, which it is. Um, but, I, but I will also argue it's challenging to raise typical kids, kid. too. Yes, yes. You know, and I mean, an invisible difference, I'm going to call it, um, I think that is more challenging in public. Because yes. people are just like, you're the worst mom ever because your kid's out of control. I mean, it was a Hobby Lobby the other day and oh. <laughs> my son was just not going to change his mind. And yeah. and I'm less worried now, you know, because it's been a while yeah. about what people think. But it does take a thick skin to kind of get there. Yes. But but you were seeing that they're kind of just focusing on the negative. Yes. Okay. And they're not they didn't weren't able to show how beautiful these individuals are and celebrate what makes them unique and amazing. And I kept thinking about the kids that. I work at that work with at the center who, you know, I, if I'm having a rough day running the company because of all the logistics side of it, I just go into the office. I set all my stuff down and I go interact with the kids and it grounds me and I it brings me so much joy. Well, it's kind of like what this is all about. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm sure the administrative work and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just a job. You're running a yes. company and trying to manage people. And, and it's not my favorite part. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny I because I w had a team at the last job I had. I had a team and I. I never really gave managers and leaders enough credit for how hard it is to manage people. Yeah, and <laughs> you know? there's, there's a lot of skill behind it, and there I've is. evolved as, as far as that goes, yeah. but the, the true joy comes from working with the kids right. and seeing their progress. And So tell me about some of the videos. Yeah, and so um, we started off with telling three of our current students' stories their from their parents' perspective, mm -hmm. um, and they kind of all have a different angle, um, but I think, I think the focus would is on just celebrating them and how incredible they are. Um, and then as we started, you know, talking to different parents about we want to create more stories and things, stories of inclusion started coming out. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, okay, that's the direction we need to take this. For sure. Yeah, we need to and just show meaningful ways that the community um, or businesses have included our students and other individuals um, and made space for them in meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. And what, what were some of those ways? Um, so one story that we're actually going to um, have a video of at the gala is uh, one of our kids, he really loves those holiday blow-ups. 
Oh, and, oh that's so yeah, cute. He draws pictures of them. He talks about them year-round. He always wants to go to Home Depot and buy new ones. Mm-hmm. And so he... Well, that's got an expensive interest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, anyways, the HOA that, of where they live, it had an ordinance where they couldn't do blow-ups. And they, the HOA somehow found out about this little guy, and they changed the rules so that he could have blow-ups. And he had so many in his yard, I guess. The neighbors all came to his mom and said, hey, why don't you use them to decorate our yards, too? Oh, wow. And so now every holiday, the, or, yeah, the neighborhood gets together, and they put these blow-ups out all over the neighborhood for him. And what a beautiful example of yes. inclusion. I mean, yes. really. Because there are those things like it's the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we get it. You don't want the yards to look trashy through the HOA. Mm-hmm. But who did it hurt? No one. And it brought everyone together. Yes. And he talks about it every day at school. Oh, that's you know? so great. So it's obviously meaningful to him. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. And and what what else? Um, so I think even just examples of, you know, school. So the story of Chloe where, you know, she, her mom tried to put her into a private school and the teacher called her two hours later and said, come get her. Oh, okay. So a private, just traditional school. Yeah. They didn't have autism supports Mm -hmm. in place. Okay. You know, but I can see from the mom's perspective, she's probably like, this is better than public school because they will work harder to help her. I mean, I'm just speculating, but I'm thinking, you know, through, through my own experience, that's what you would be thinking. Yeah. And so, um, it's very challenging because how, how do you help people to learn that it's worth taking the time to Mm -hmm. understand and, and learn how to work with these, you know, all of these kids. Right, right. Well, the thing that we talk about a lot on the show is the issue is never going to go away. I think those numbers are going to continue to go up. Yes. And so how, like, it's not just something we can say, oh, that'll go away. Yeah. Right. Well, and like you've talked about in the past, like, you know, a lot of these individuals will become CEOs. They'll become, they're the geniuses. They're the geniuses. You know, that. And they have um, that special interest that they're not going to stop. Yes. You know, yes. I wish that that's amazing. They're not going to get distracted. They're going to focus on that until they get it mm-hmm. down, which I mean, if all we would all be super successful if we did that in life. Right? Yes. And so why not cater things in the classroom to accommodate them and right. to make space for them and to also help the kids learn how to make space for them? So you have the school, but but as you know, most kids with autism will end up just in public school. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the best options are? as far as the public schools go? And what do you think they need to better serve those kids? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I was a huge advocate for is the open door policy. Mm -hmm. Um, I get hip, I get all that privacy stuff, but there's still individuals. And I think when you allow a door to be locked, you're also allowing a lot of stuff to go on that might not be okay. Yeah, that's really true. Well, you know, I've kind of dealt with HIPAA at times. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I'm the mom, I can wave HIPAA. Yeah. You know, for this yeah. kind of stuff, which I'm sure is how you've mm-hmm. how you've dealt with that. Yeah. And what as a parent who is trying to figure out where to put their autistic child as far as school goes, what do you think is is maybe like a gauge for should I try for one of these autism schools or should I try public school? Like, how do you yeah. know what's best? Yeah, I think, you know, if you've tried public school mm-hmm. and it's especially in a mainstream classroom mm-hmm. and they aren't thriving. You know, maybe they can be in there, but they're not learning. They're not making friends. Um, and you've tried different, you know, to work with the school team. Um, the reason our school I feel like is so successful is because it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like mm-hmm. we work 
heavily on social skills. Like the kids become the best of friends because they get each other. They yeah. love seeing each other. But then I also am a big believer in academics um, that they're, you know, we have someone who she came to us when she with a 70 IQ is what she was assessed. Okay. At. And now talk. Okay. I don't even know where IQ should be. A hundred <laughs> okay. is average. Is a hundred is average. Yep. Okay. Because I've heard my doctor talk about the difference, like in services, once you fall below something, yep, you get a lot of services. If you're even one above that, how do you find out what your child's IQ is? Um, there's an actual formal assessment okay. for IQ. Yeah. And is that, do they, do they do that when they're taking all of that information when yep. your child is being admitted to one of the centers? Well, I don't so, mean admitted like well, overnight. No. But. Well, so typically they'll do an IQ test every three years in the okay. school district. Oh, they so, do. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a different name for it or is it just IQ test? I think it's the Winchester. Okay. I have to look no, it no, up. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And is that for all kids or is that just for special needs kids? To qualify for an IEP. Oh, to qualify yeah. for an IEP. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about IEPs next week. Yeah. With the Utah Parent Center. Oh, fun. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Fun. I want, someday I want to say IEPs are fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, fun that they're getting they're more information in. out there because oh, it's yeah. very challenging it, road to navigate, even for me as a mom. Like, it's oh, very yeah. difficult. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's, those are my least favorite meetings. Yes. But but our team is amazing and I love them and they're doing all these things you're talking about like being creative and trying new mm-hmm. new things to help that's what they've done with Asher and I just oh man they are so valuable in my life those yes. teachers and that team at the school okay so um what else do you think that people should know about you know autism and and where we're going as a society with inclusion yeah um i think I have a couple different thoughts. Yeah, I think great. when it when it comes to school and working with them and the expectations, um, our our big philosophy is allowing them to express themselves in the way they want to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, still providing structure and like teach a kid like you would teach any child, right? Like you'd still have expectations for any child. You'd still have, you know, you still want them to learn and progress. Well, and a lot of things I've read talks about the importance of that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, because you want them to be the best they can be. You don't want to just be like, well, you don't need to learn if you don't want to learn. However, um, it's really fun to see the different ways that they enjoy learning and to honor that and to uh, go that direction with them because then you'll find that they um, are more willing to trust you and then eventually they will sit in a chair and want to learn at a desk and do all those things. But it's kind of the root of it. Right. I was going to say, is the root of it kind of that trust issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And because my son is doing very, I mean, I don't know if we say very well every day at school right now because mm-hmm. we have <laughs> moments, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> moments. But I feel like we've gotten to the point where his trust in that team and his class is so high. And mm-hmm. it just took us a while to get there, you know, which yes. it would. It does all of us. Yes. It takes that time. And then how do you feel? What do you feel like you're doing at your centers and your school that differentiates you? Um, I think what differentiates us is the small classroom sizes, um, the academic nature of it. Um, the fun, the joy, the, you know, the excitement that we feel when we're there. Like, we have so much fun. And no, we, that's great. Um, and the kids, they make progress because they're enjoying being there and they love it. And so I think tying in the principles of ABA, tying in um, the values that we have is what sets us apart from maybe other centers. Yeah, and the values, I like that too. Because the, you want a science backed program that mm-hmm. you know yeah. science driven results but you also want that that marriage of those people working with your child 
really, really love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Okay, okay. Where can people get more information? Um, so they can go to our website at autismsolutionsutah.com. And there's quite a bit of information on there. And we'll also be posting the videos as we release them on YouTube. But. Now, I know that you and, and many of the centers have a long waiting list at times. If you can't get a kid in, do you have other places that you're like, oh, this place is also really respectable and I like them that you recommend? Or, you know, when a parent gets that news that, well, you're on, you know, you're on an eight month or year long waiting list. That's I've, I've heard that so many times and it just doesn't help. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. And um, we do have a few places. So we have a short list of places that I have heard really great things about. Oh, right. OK. Um, you kind of just and that steer them still that still take way. the same approach that we do. Right, I okay. mean, that's I think that's kind of how I differentiate. Like if I have heard that they also teach out of love mm-hmm. and that they because you can't go wrong there. Right. Yeah. Like, no, it's true. It's true. And, and then I also I love what you said at the beginning where that in-home therapy is great. But having that team at a center is so valuable. I've also loved at the center where we go that there are other kids his age in this after school program, which, you know, obviously you want them to be socializing while they're kind of learning this other stuff. Right. Okay. One final question for you. This is I didn't think of this until just now. How can you tell if your center is using all these principles versus just kind of babysitting for a couple hours? Um, I think data and I think um, having purpose behind what you're doing. And so that is a huge thing for us. We look um, a lot at the data because it drives our instruction. Mm -hmm. So is a kid making progress? Um, Are the staff following the protocols that we put into place? Um, Because everyone needs to be on the same page. Right, right. Yeah, you're part of the team. Mm -hmm. You're part of the overall team working with the child. Yes. Right, okay. Well, Lacey Anderson, thank you so much for coming in today. We appreciate it. Great information. I love getting some of those answers about ABA and your thoughts on that and how it's evolved and and really what parents should look for when they're trying to find that, that perfect place for their child. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And Celebrating the Spectrum is a KSL podcast. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.